I'm Emma Goldswell and welcome to Effin Hormones, the podcast about perimenopause and beyond. Can you believe it? We've finally got here. It is the end of series two. And let me tell you, so much has happened since we first started recording. Firstly, the government's committed to yearly prescriptions for HRT in England, which is hopefully going to save a lot of people a lot of money. And get this, Helen has finally figured out what's wrong with her. And I am back to feeling like a whippersnapper. Well, at least a 30-year-old, thanks to good old HRT. Now, in this episode, you're going to hear from a couple of people who aren't often represented when it comes to traditional images of perimenopause and menopause. Now, I don't know about you, but I certainly haven't felt represented in the past, and that's a big reason why we did this podcast in the first place. But what is it like to experience menopause when you're a trans man or a non-binary person? Well, you'll find out in just a little while. First of all, though, it is time to hear from the gang. Yes, my favourite people are in the house. It's Helen, Terry and Fina. (laughs) Thank you very much, favourite people. Hi. How are you all doing? Doing all right. Look at all those smiles. I'm going to read out this little message that I've just had from a guy, right? And I won't... I haven't checked if it's all right to read this out, so I won't name anybody yet, but listen to this, okay? Hello, hope you're well. I've got to thank you and the team at Effin Hormones. Mm-mm. That's the, the woman who's been listening, the guy's partner, is in love with it. And I've seen such a beautiful difference in her because she knows other folk are in the same boat, if that makes sense. Perfect sense. Thank you very much. I listened to a few episodes while in the car while we were driving back to York back on Sunday. And the my tits were in my tea bit was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Which was you, Terry, was the end of series was say, uh, was it- one. Uh, you were telling the joke. I think that was, Terry's my, I think that was my jokes, wasn't it? How to lighten up the mood. It was. <laughs> it was your jokes, yeah. thought I was having a hot, hot flush, but then I looked down and realised my tits were in my teeth. <laughs> that, that was the joke. That was the joke. Oh, bless her. Oh, but do you know what? That is so lovely to receive a message like that. And I, that's kind of what I'd hope for the podcast, really, that it's not just the women that are listening, you know, totally. as we'll find out later in the episode. You know, we want trans people and queer people and non-binary people to be listening. But also, yeah, male partners of straight women. It's great to hear that people are listening together with their partners. Yeah, it's brilliant. so heartening. I, I imagine there's probably a lot of people listening, if there are lots of people listening with their partners, and their hair's probably, like, curling, going, <laughs> oh, my God. Is this what you go through? And despite the fact that their partners have probably been trying to tell them for about five years that this is what they're going through, maybe hearing other people talking about it is making a bit of a difference. Hopefully. Oh, Terry, we need a catch up from you, don't we? Because you couldn't make one of the recent recordings. So you've got an update on what, on what last time was the letter J on our A to Z of Perry and Menno. What's been going on? I was going to do joints, wasn't I? And uh, the bone variety, like, rather than any other kind. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I um, was diagnosed with osteoarthritis a few years ago, just before lockdown, actually, because I'd started having some physio for it. But essentially, I was getting loads of pains in my hips and in my knees and in my ankles. And I had an, an x-ray and basically the, um, the doctor said I had osteoarthritis, which is what happens when you get older to some people, and particularly women. And it's the, the cartilage between your bones starts to become weak, weaker. So it's not like osteoporosis, which is the bones getting weaker. It's the 
cushioning between your bones. Anyway, long story short, I've been um, right. doing what I can to try and improve some of the pain that I get with that because I can wake up at night with the with the pain in my hip and I can, I'm very stiff and I can't move and things like that. What I found was quite interesting was I did a little bit of research just to see if HRT has any effect on osteoarthritis because it does have an effect with osteoporosis but there's been no as usual there's been no um, research on this because it's women's health and who researches women's health um but what there has been is um why would you yeah exactly but there has been a study in the states that says that women on hrt are less likely to need a hip or a knee replacement so there's got to be something in there Yes, so mm-hmm. um, wow. I'm not saying it's a magic pill. I know HRT doesn't work for everybody, but for me, when I started taking it, it did improve my pain that I was experiencing. You've noticed a difference with regard to the joint side of things? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because I'd, I'd go for it, like I do a lot of walking, like get out on the hills and everything, and I would be in pain after a couple of miles, whereas I can walk for, I haven't for a while, but when I do, I can walk for a good eight, nine miles without the pain kicking in. Whereas before that, before I was getting any help with it it was painful all the time as soon as I was out walking so mm. so yeah it's definitely helped definitely I noticed it as soon as I started taking it because I remember one of my friends who, who listened to the podcast actually she said to me that she had had pain in her hips when she went on HRT the same thing with her she felt a, the improvement from it so good to hear this is very good news especially as my mother has had new knees and a new hip she's practically bionic now <laughs> Um, but so I'm hoping that because I've had HRT, I won't have to have any of these like quite serious operations. Do you ever do the hokey pokey at home? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> do you say hokey pokey or hokey cokey? I said the hokey pokey, but it's the hokey cokey, isn't it? Oh my god! Oh, I love it. It's literally like ten-year-old jokes going on here. Here all week. Okay, well, I think that concludes the letter J then. We can wrap that up. Thank you. Letter J is concluded, yes. Right, time now for the A to Z of Perry and Menno, when you get to hear all about different aspects as we work our way through the alphabet. And this time we have reached K. And for this episode, we are just going to focus on the one subject. Quite a big deal. And I've got a bit of an announcement to make. Oh, yeah. 2022 is a very big year for me. I'm going to be doing something that I've waited about 20 years to do. And uh, at the tender age of 50, I am finally going to become a mother. Yes, my partner Siobhan is pregnant and we are due a baby girl in April. So... For this reason and many others, because there's lots to talk about, the K is going to be kids. By the way, can you see what is in the back? Can you see what is in the background of my room? You've got a washing hanging. Oh, yeah, is that that's kiddie clothes. Like baby grows. It's already. I'm already washing baby clothes. I'm not even joking. This child isn't even born yet, and she's got more clothes than me. <laughs> I'm on a wash. I've got bin liners full of clothes that people have donated that I've just washed. Get used to it, it babe. <laughs> That's all you're going to be doing is washing. No, like literally the first the first three months, it's like, oh my God, I had no idea that the washing machine was going to get used this much. Oh, congratulations. Hooray. That's amazing Thank news, you. Emma and Siobhan. It, That's it amazing. Slightly, slightly bonkers. And I will be uh, tapping you up, Helen, for lots of parents. <laughs> yeah, just don't ring me at like I, two um, in the morning and go, what do I do now? Totally. Oh, no, ring her at two in the morning. Absolutely ring her at two in the morning. Why not? <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
Never mind effing hormones. We've got a whole new podcast here, haven't we? (laughs) (laughs) I am here for that. Love it. So let's talk about Perry, Menno and kids. Because, you know, we've talked about it with a few of our guests, haven't we? How sometimes it's a bit of a car crash in terms of you've got women going for the menopause and all the hormones flying around. You've got teenagers with all the hormones flying around. But that's not always the case, is it? Helen, you've not got teenagers yet. No, absolutely not. quite difficult. No, the overriding thing that I've had having a younger child through this experience is guilt. And I'm afraid when you become a parent you're going to experience guilt at some point, right? It's just there. It's Mm. like it's sort of systemically baked inside you. And I think it's really, really important. Just here's a little tip, my first tip. Just recognise that that guilt and kick it in the bollocks and go, no, thanks, I'm not having any of that bugger off, right? But I've had many, many occasions where I've been so exhausted and I've felt poorly where I've I've ended up just being collapsed on the sofa and at my worst, when I was feeling at my worst, that could, it could be a whole weekend like that. My other half would have to, to swoop in. But, you know, I felt guilt because I, I, I felt, I, you know, I haven't got enough energy to run around after this little child and be present with him. Yeah, I think I'm just really, really grateful that I've gone through this whole journey with you guys before I embarked on parenthood because the thought of having sleepless nights and doing nappies and doing feeds in the middle of the night and not sleeping because of hot flushes and menopause as well would have just been absolutely horrific. It's going to be hard enough anyway, but the fact that now I can sleep for like four or five hours sometimes and get some proper decent sleep in before the baby arrives is just going to really, really help me, I think. Remember what I was like Mm. even a few months ago when I was so emotional as well and crying and shouting and... I can't, I mean, it's emotional enough anyway having a child, isn't it? So to add that into it, I just, I'm really glad that I've sorted my life out with HRT because I just don't think I could have coped going into this adventure without it. Well, you've had a lot of practice of not having any sleep, so you'd probably be quite good at it. (laughs) (laughs) I did did almost think that, but then I thought, God, imagine if my hot flushes had not coincided when the baby was awake and wanted to, it could have been, could have had no sleep for days. Oh, God. Mm. Uh, Well big adventure ahead I know it's, it's exciting it's exciting but scary but you know well, yeah. everything in life that's worth doing is a bit exciting and scary isn't it I would mostly say so. is it mostly exciting yeah. though yes it is well it, well I'll let you know <laughs> <laughs> when you're about to have a baby everyone's really really excited and dead excited but then you get all the all the parents coming in going Oh, well, make sure you go out now. Make sure you go to the pub now. Make sure you go to the cinema now. Make sure you do this now because you'll never do it again. For at least 18 years. <laughs> they like to point out all the bad things. I went to a wedding when uh, one of my friend's weddings and another friend had just had a baby and she was three weeks. And we had the baby on the, in the middle of the table at the wedding for the entire wedding and we were dancing around. And so, you know, you can't, it's not the end of your life. It will still be, uh, you'll still have a social life but probably within uh, within reason. <laughs> Can I just say that people say this stuff, Ems, but, uh, you know, without question, having my little boy has been the single most incredible, fabulous, life-affirming, amazing thing that has ever happened to me. That's why people do it, and they do it more than once sometimes. Keep a hold of that as well. Keep a hold of that. <laughs> no, you're right. I have had people as well say to me, look... F- Ignore all those people that just dwell on the poo and the vomit and the, you know, screaming. You are going to fall in love with that child and it's going to be the most incredible experience of your life. So that's why, you know, that's what you've got to hold on Mm. to. Don't worry about the fact that you're not going to sleep. (laughs) 
How do you feel about and what do we all think about the expectations that are placed on women and people experiencing menopause of, you know, that they, they should be a certain age and these certain things should have happened to them by now? Because we touched on that kind of stereotypical view, didn't we? That like, oh, the kids have grown up by now. So and we know it's bollocks, don't we? Well, did you see the um, the report today that half the women who are 30 haven't got a child? So I don't know if it was the mm. Office for National, National Statistics, but basically it's the first time in history that women in the women of the age of 30 and half of them don't have kids. So it's only going to get mm. we're only going to get older. Mm. People are not doing it or doing it a lot later, aren't they, really? But it's funny, isn't it? I keep sort of excusing myself and going, I can't believe I'm doing this at 50, and I keep mentioning my age and I keep apologising for it, which is ridiculous. To the extent that a man came round to value my flats the other day and I was like, oh, this is the utility room. Do excuse all the baby clothes hanging up. Then I was like, can you believe I'm going to be a parent at 50? And he said, don't worry about it, you'll be great. He said, he was in his 40s, I guess, and he said, my mum is 60 and my little sister is 10. So wow. she had wow. a baby wow. at 50 and she was the parent. I'm not physically giving birth, but yeah, so she wow. gave birth at 50. Some people have kids still a lot later and it's ridiculous that we all feel like we should sort of be shoehorned into this stereotype and you do have kids at this age and you do have 2.4 kids and you do live in a heteronormative society and I can't believe that I've been sucked into that and I keep apologising for being a mother at 50. It's like, no, fuck off, I'll do it. I'm going to do it and I'll be a fucking good mother. Yay! Yes, you will. Yes, you will. (laughs) And don't beat beat yourself up about that either because, you know... Bollocks to apologising. But, you know, conditioning is very, very strong. Mm. We might have to start calling your gran, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Terry! Right. Granny oh, Goswell. Terry, right Terry. Oh, my God. I've got to 50 and I've never done a nappy and you can't start calling me gran now. You are so You've never done a nappy? Honestly. Have you never I've done a never nappy? I've never done a nappy. Oh, my oh God, wow. I only picked up dog poo for the first time last year. <laughs> <laughs> you've lived different. you've lived a charmed life haven't you Goswell? <laughs> i've lived a very charmed life so have, have you done one yet do you know how to do it now because believe me no I've... you need to know no. <laughs> no it's all right my nct course starts this week so i'll be fine right you practice, you pra- no, you you practice on a little plastic dolly thing <laughs> Do you get dollies that actually shit so you can you can <laughs> no. have an accurate an accurate kind of experience? They do, right? I don't know if they do this at every single NCT thing, but they show you these diagrams of like the the mum, what's going on with the mum's tummy, and like where all <laughs> where all your organs go, and how like squashed, you know, everything's like squashed. They show you this picture, and you're like, you look at it. And I was like, Jesus Christ, my poor body. <laughs> No wonder you need to pee every 10 yes. seconds. Well, listen, in the last bit, the last couple of weeks, I was induced as well, so I was late. And I was literally walking down, get up in the middle of the night, God knows how many times, and I, it was like Godzilla. <laughs> I could hear my feet pound, pound, pound. I couldn't put socks on. <laughs> it was un- I was like, get this baby out of me. Get him out. God. Oh, Helen, while we're on the subject of gross things, right, someone also told me to watch out for the first poo that you have. This won't affect me, obviously, because I'm not having the baby. But after you've had a baby, and she said she calls it the Voldemort poo. Yeah, the Voldemort poo poo is a good one. Yeah, it's green. What, what, 
It's, it's green. Why do you have a green poo? <laughs> well, I, th- I don't know. I can't remember. I think they probably knew at the time, but it's like, and it's got a special name as well. I can't remember what it's called. But yeah, it's, you, you kind of look at it and you're like, wow. <laughs> but well, can we, can we just clarify that it's, it's the baby's about... poo and not the mother's the poo? The baby's poo. Yeah, green. it is the baby's yeah, yeah, poo. Just, that's just, great. Just, just oh, oh, listen, actually, just on that score, Ems, I've got lots of tips for you, things to get to pack in the bag for afterwards so um, we'll we'll talk about this off air because it's Thank not fair <laughs> no but anyway i think we've successfully established that you know one of the main reasons why we did effing home is a podcast about perimenopause is that we haven't felt represented you mentioned that before mm. and you know these big life experiences are going on whether or not it's menopause whether or not it's meeting the love of your life whether or not it's you know having a baby and the fact is things are a lot more fluid nowadays and a lot more changeable and a lot less pegged to age and you know I would say socioeconomic status but that's not true unfortunately but gender and things like that so you know Mm. I think it's um I think it's really good that you've got all these different podcasts coming out I'm thinking of someone like Karen Arthur with Menopause Whilst Black for example people with different experiences telling their stories effing hormones talking about perimenopause because no bugger else does hey gang just to let you know this episode is sponsored by better help so what is better help well, it's online therapy ems better help matches you to one of 32,000 licensed therapists based on your location and your preferences and then you can access therapy from your laptop or your phone now you've had therapy haven't you ems and you're quite happy to talk about it too yeah, and it's really important to talk about it because it has helped me and it has helped so many people. And we talk about mental health all the time on our podcast, don't we? Because my mental health wasn't awful, but it went crashing downhill after I hit what I thought was the midlife crisis and then got even worse when I was actually perimenopausal. And I so benefited from seeing a therapist. It massively, massively helped. If you could sum it up in one sentence, what therapy's done for you. Can you sum it up in one sentence, like how beneficial it's been? It's helped me appreciate the goodness in myself and the goodness in the world, I think. Mm. It's helped me not to dwell on the negative. Love that. To find out more about it and to get 10% off your first month, head to betterhelp.com slash effinghormones. That's betterhelp.com slash effinghormones. Right, it's time for our guests for this episode. And a lot of what you just heard us talking about this ties in really nicely with what you're going to hear from our guests as well. And I say guests because I'm going to introduce you to a couple of people who I interviewed a while ago who really aren't often represented when it comes to talking about perimenopause and menopause. First up, let's hear from Tanya Glide. Tanya is a counsellor and psychotherapist who works in the areas of gender, sex and relationship diversity. Tanya set up a website called Queer Menopause, which provides information and resources for menopausal people who are struggling to get support otherwise. As Tanya explained to me, and as we've discussed before on Effing Hormones, this time of life can be a real emotional roller coaster. I suppose the most uncomfortable experience was when I went to one doctor who I said, please test test my hormones, test my hormones, give me the drugs now. And she looked at the things and I said, so what What do you see there? And, and she said, oh, within the normal range. And I was like, okay, why am I having these heat spikes? Why am I fighting a virus? She was like, well, I don't know, like that. And I, I didn't know, I didn't know what to argue. 
I didn't have a platform to argue from, if you see what I mean. I didn't know what I was there for. I knew about menopause by then. I'm just sounding vague because it was a vague time. No, well, no, exactly. This is a very common story, actually. Was there a moment where it, oh, the penny dropped and it, the medical establishment finally helped you and <sighs> well, got you the right treatment that you needed? The thing is, OK, there is an anomaly here in my me- medical records, which is <laughs> there always is because that's life. Back in 2008, when I was 41 or two, I had a stroke. Oh. Now, it strokes come in more than one different kind. And I always thought I had a stroke, therefore I can never take hormones. And somehow I burnt that into my own brain. Every doctor had sort of said, well, we wouldn't give you that. And of course, on one level, that is reasonable. Then it was only when I came across, this must be four years ago now, a doctor saying, well, hold on, let's look at your records. And actually I'd had the other kind of stroke, not the blood clot one, the cell wall breaking one. And actually it was okay with care for me to try HRT. So I thought I could have had years of maybe taking something that would have helped me if someone had just read my records properly. How frustrating. Yeah. You did take HRT in the end then? I took it for a while. I tried pills. They didn't really work. I tried synthetic steroid called Tibolone. And then we went over to patches. What I did notice after taking it was that I became depressed about half an hour after putting a patch on or taking a pill. So I ended up having to cut the patches into pieces, which you may have heard people do. So it was all a bit DIY. It's a right brewing roller coaster, isn't it? It It really is. It is. And everyone is different and everyone has different expectations and different things going on in their lives. Any existing issues that a person has in their life is likely to be magnified in some way by Mm. the arrival of perimenopause and menopause. Trauma, oppressions, various life struggles can be made worse, particularly if you don't know what's going on. And also I've read um, that you said that actually, I mean, the menopause is a really transformative period, isn't it? I mean, there are good things about that as well as all being negative. Yes, that is true. But for you, you started changing or thinking about your gender in a different way through the menopause. Is that right? Yes. For me, there's been many layers of transformation for me in this. And I think what it has felt like for me very distinctly, and this is quite a long period, so it's been a slow shift, Hmm. of something like whatever I was previously, it's sort of fallen off me. So that's just a journey I'm on around this. So I would say non-binary or agender suits me best now. So you identify as non-binary or agender. Mm. And what has it been like, you know, approaching the medical establishment and trying to get the right services and understanding as a non-binary person? I've been on a kind of journey with this. So that wasn't primarily what I was bringing 10 years ago, for example, when I went to doctors. It's, it's been a process. Yeah. I certainly know what it's like for other people. And I certainly know how how much more challenging it is walking into a place where people are going to call you madam and ladies and girls and how that is like nailed down a blackboard. Because when we talk about menopause, and we're probably guilty of it as well, we talk about women. But your point is, and this yeah. is the thing you really want to get across, isn't it, that the menopause does not just affect women, right? That's the point. That's the point. It, it, menopause happens to people. We have to open this out so that non-binary people and trans men, for example, can feel they don't have to do endless explaining or endless sort of debating with healthcare staff. It's a very uncomfortable process for people, which is what I found in my study. 
my research. So let's talk a bit more about your research then. I mean, what particular problems have you found that trans men in particular have, have had with the medical establishment? Because, you know, they may be going through menopause symptoms. What came up strongly for people, particularly people considering transition at the same time as coming into menopause, was what to say to different gatekeepers whether if they mention gender to their GP, they might be denied HRT, particularly in the form of testosterone. Mm. And then if they mention menopause to gender clinics, that someone might say, well, you're not trans enough because it might be menopause. So that was that was the sort of thing that came up. Mm. And of course, everyone's different. And so for some people, testosterone will knock out their menopause, if you like, it will mask it. But of course, that's not necessarily always the case. And there may be some lingering things, for example, vaginal dryness, which could be helped by some estrogen, supplemental estrogen. But of course, because we attach the gender binary to hormones so much, many people feel very dysphoric taking something that they didn't want to have in their body in the first place. I'm, I'm putting that very in a very generalized way. So it's the diff it, because we attach these meanings to hormones, you know, the testosterone is meant to be the macho male hormone and estrogen and it's the sweet female hormone. And it's absolute rubbish because the ovaries make testosterone and the testes make estrogen. All bodies yeah. need th all of this to function. But I can see how trans people would be really upset or confused by this and not want to suddenly take it. Well, th this is another hormone. thing. I mean, when I was looking for interviewees, a, a friend came to me having spoken to their friend who was a trans guy who just said, I don't want to think about this. I don't even like the word menopause. It makes me feel so dysphoric. I'm really sorry. I can't talk about this. And so we may have people suffering in silence. We may have people just not knowing because it just needs people to to understand what might happen in their body, that they are not going to be feminized by taking a bit of, for example, topical estrogen cream, just to use that as an example. What are some of the other things that you found in, in your research then, speaking to you know, maybe you know, lesbians, or pansexual or different women? Someone who is queer and menopausal has probably already had a bad experience, unfortunately, in therapy and in the healthcare system. You know, just all kinds of things, even before we get to menopause. Oh, no, I mean, I've had doctors ask me what um, contraception I'm using, and I say, being a lesbian quite works quite well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Or, or, you know, receptionists who won't respect someone's name that they wish to use and mm. their pronouns and things like that and sort of laughing at them or, or having to push. You know, it, it was, you know, not everyone feels able to tackle that. And so this is why people go underground to get medications or to get advice from others, because they simply cannot face going to the doctor. non cishet information is really rare and it's not just for the queer community is it i mean it seems no, to be no no it's for everybody to, to white middle class and uh cisgendered and straight people isn't it it's just yeah you, know, you look at the wider world that's what it seems to be there is a lot of what we might call well-resourced wellness in the menopause world and you know everyone has to get through their menopause with whatever resources they have so great if you've got access great but i think that it gets reflected back in the media in a very specific kind of way. It's, it is, does reflect wealth and, as you say, whiteness and white wine and yoga holidays and, hey, nothing wrong with a yoga holiday, but the whole picture seems very excluding of many people. Or it's mm. like, it's like you, in, you often see interviews with famous people and they've usually got a private doctor. 
and and there are some excellent private doctors around but loads of people can't afford them there's lots of people whose menopause story is simply not being heard so Tanya, it be really helpful to to get an understanding of what medical practitioners could be doing differently you know particularly to support trans people and non-binary people who are going through the menopause you know what what are they doing so wrong people need to be trained and of course people will say but we have trainings and then you'll discover i mean obviously i'm not just talking about doctors i'm talking about all sorts of healthcare people and therapists but the trouble is too many of thing, these things are sort of bolt-ons they're things like optional bolt-ons post-qualification again i can't say about what medical doctors do throughout their trainings but it is very clear that that they're needing way more training and it's it's but it's, of course anyone could go and do a training anyone can go and sit in a seminar for two hours and watch someone's powerpoint the point is it's also about personal views one's own biases and we just need way better training and it needs to come in from the ground up for everybody you 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 know, and, and also people understanding their own gender and sexuality and understanding that we're all on a spectrum. There isn't some separateness. There isn't the, oh, look, the normal people and then the trans and non-binary people over there. That we, we can't carry on with that binary because it's hurting people. Absolutely. What would you say to our straight listeners, our cisgendered listeners who get a bit confused or scared by this debate, but there is a lot of confusion and a lot of people are scared about misgendering people. What advice would you give to to people listening? I'd say just keep listening to people, keep reading, keep looking through social media. And as, as you say, Twitter can be an absolutely terrible place, but there are also a lot of really important conversations going on on there. It's all about just being open. So don't be scared about it. Just think about yeah. it and educate yourself a little bit about it. Absolutely. And I would say, and yes, sometimes people get angry, but when you realise the in, the onslaught in the media, you, you can see why people get angry. You know, you, you can see why. It's healthcare and hospitality where people love to gender you, mm-hmm. which is uh, incredibly frustrating for a lot of people. There's a lot of conversations to be had here. I can sit here and say, I certainly don't want to shame anyone or tell anyone off. No one responds well to that. But sometimes we might all lose our temper a bit or just have, I've seen one too many things that upset me today. And also, we all get it wrong. We all get it wrong. And you just say, okay, sorry, move on. And that's it. But I do understand it can sometimes feel like, you know, you've done something absolutely terrible because people do seem to be on a knife edge of stress. Uh, for unfortunate, very visible reasons. But yes, I don't I don't want to tell people off. If I'm really annoyed, you'll know. <laughs> I'll, I'll be writing something particularly directed if I'm going to do something like that. And just remind us of your website, because there's so much information on there, it's, isn't there, really, that would be useful to direct people to it, I think. It's queermenopause.com. And I also have an Instagram, queermenopause. A big thank you to Tanya for taking time out to talk to me. Next up, let's hear from Hendrix. Hendrix is a trans man who experienced menopause at the same time as going through male puberty. Yes, imagine that. And when I spoke to him, he explained that it's not always easy to get involved in chatting about menopause. I want to join in the conversation, but if I'm surrounded by people that don't know me personally or people that I've not necessarily had that conversation with, I can't. Sometimes I do feel able to. Most of the times I don't feel able to just kind of jump in and go, well, 
when I had my hysterectomy and I went straight into the menopause, it was horrific, you know, but there are those occasions where the people around me know anyway, but they forget. And then I just kind of drop that in and they're like, oh God, yeah. It probably messes with their mind. It's like, here's a man talking to me and they're talking about hysterectomies and menopause and I can't compute that in my brain. I guess it's, it's difficult for people, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people forget. Because they're, they're so used to me being my authentic self that when I do talk about women's rights or, you know, anything to do with my understanding of how different it is to be female and to be male, and then talking about things like period pain, cramps, menopause, hot flushes, all these sorts of things, you, you can see them trying to do the math and then you kind of see them go through all the range of emotions and they're like oh yeah you know so, so it's, it's interesting isn't it? so remind us how old you are hendrix i am uh 42 42 okay so talk a little bit what led you to end up having to have a, a hysterectomy so i was 36 when i came out with trans um started my transition when i was 36 and I think it was, it was kind of sort of like 2016, 2018, I had my chest surgery and then late 2018, early 2019, I had my hysterectomy. So when I went for the first sort of initial appointment, obviously I went with a friend who's female and the doctor just immediately started talking to her, which was quite amusing. And then very quickly realized it was me and just didn't, he, he didn't really know what to do. He was very kind of taken back and sort of said, you know, I did it. You would be the first male to have a hysterectomy at Salford Royal, as far as I'm aware. So we're not, we're not really sure how to go about this. Do we, do we put you on a gynae ward, but then you're on a, you're the only male in a, in a female ward, or do we put you on a urology ward, but then you haven't got the gynae specialism. What did they you do? Know, I ended up going on the gynae ward. Uh, because I wanted the specialist team on the site, but they, they put me in a little side room. So I was completely private and I had the, the room to myself. So it was, it was really dignified as well. They, they really looked after me, you know, cause you, you have to have catheter and things like that after surgery and, and all that kind of stuff. And they even actually took into account a scar going across cause they did the, the full open you up. Mm. hysterectomy obviously typically the scar runs across your abdomen but they actually took mine from my belly button down so that it would look more male and it would look you know and obviously the hairline up to your belly button I suppose mine is quite hairy now covers the scar so you don't even see it so they were really thoughtful so apart from that initial confusion and embarrassment, they were really, they really did want to look after you as a trans man by the sounds of it. Oh, absolutely. And I, I couldn't recommend them more. You know, they, they, they were just so, so considerate. And then as a result of having the hysterectomy, you ended up with menopause symptoms. Is that right? Um, I'm still getting them. I'm still absolutely getting them all the time. So I think because I was already on testosterone when I, had my hysterectomy obviously i had at the time estrogen and testosterone in my system had the hysterectomy and that just took all the estrogen away 
So it's just pure testosterone. So at the time I was going through male puberty, which was fun in itself. And then alongside male puberty came the menopause. That sounds like a horrific combination, Hendrix. So what sort of symptoms were you having? So male puberty-wise, obviously, all the standard, you know, voice breaking, all that kind of stuff, hair growth, muscle development, fat redistribution, all that sort of stuff. Increased sex drive as well, probably. Yeah, I couldn't comment. couldn't possibly comment on that, Emma. <laughs> and then on top of that, suddenly I was getting hot flushes, sweats, crying at the drop of a hat, getting stressed quite easily, quite quickly. So I'd gone from being pretty chilled out and I'm finding actually now, more now, sort of a couple of years on, I'm getting more symptoms that I would say are symptoms of menopause. What um, else? Just more intense of that really. So the feeling really, really emotional, which I wasn't prehysterectomy and sort of even like probably for the last six months it's got worse so I'm just crying I cry at casualty and when it was happening to you were you aware this is menopause were you warned that once you had the hysterectomy you would go through menopause symptoms no no because I'm not sure whether the medical profession actually realize that if you're on testosterone Although you have a hysterectomy and it completely stops the estrogen, I'm not sure that they're aware that you would have the same effect because you still got a hormone in your system. I don't know what the science says about it, whether you're not supposed to get any sort of menopausal symptoms because you've still got testosterone in your system so it kind of balances it or what it is, but I am definitely getting menopausal symptoms. And are you getting any help or, or treatment for that? Have the any medical professional advised you on what to do? I've not really looked for it, to be honest, because when I have looked into it, all the groups are just full of women. And I'm not sure, it's kind of a bit uncharted territory, really, isn't it? You know, going into a 100% female environment and then getting over that sort of social barrier of actually I can identify with what you're going through. It would just be a, you and a doctor, I guess, wouldn't it? That would be the first, first port call. I guess so, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to go down the HRT route because I've already, I'm already on HRT with my testosterone and I'll be taking that for the rest of my life. So I kind of feel like maybe, you know, cause HRT going through menopause is a small amount of estrogen, isn't it? Yeah, well, I'm on estrogen and progesterone and testosterone. So um, I don't really want to add estrogen back into the mix because, it, you know, I don't know what sort of effect that's going to have on on me, my mind, how I feel, all that kind of stuff. So I don't know if I want to take the chance. But it'd be worth finding out from a medical professional. Do you think the medical profession don't know enough about trans men going through the menopause? To be honest... I don't think they know anything about it. I don't think trans men talk about it enough. And I don't think trans men go to their GPs with it. And because you're going through puberty, which brings its own sort of hot flushes and sweats and all that sort of stuff, and does change your emotions. 
I think a lot of it is just put down to, well, it's, it's the testosterone that's causing these effects. Whereas I've been on the testosterone for, uh, what, like six years now. Mm. So all, all the, the major changes and major effects of that have, have finished because that's sort of five years. So anything now is more related to the fact that I'm menopausal. So at the moment you're just grinning and bearing it then, basically. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Although, um, when Risha went through, cause she, she also had a hysterectomy. So she went immediately into menopause. She actually used Sage. Uh, okay. And that, that just completely stopped her hot flushes. Um, what do you think the medical profession or the wider world needs to be doing? differently in terms of understanding trans people's experience when it comes to menopause? I think naturally, as a society, we will start to gain more understanding, you know, because a, a lot of the times, like now I'm starting to notice that actually in men's bathrooms, you've got the, there's um, sanitary products. Really? Starting to see that really slowly just become quite accepted. So that's a massive step forward because obviously men have periods too. Hmm? So I, I think we'll just naturally progress into a society that just, you know, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 years time, it'll just be a given that anyone can have the menopause and it won't be quite so focused on women have menopause. Hopefully that's the way it will go. I think more trans men need to just stand in that and, and be a little bit more comfortable, but obviously it's, it's not, you know, it's just not possible for some trans men. And I think we've had the conversation before about how different it is to be a trans man to a trans woman, because as a trans man, you're pretty much yourself, you know, once, once you grow facial hair and your voice drops, that's it. Society, you're, you're just a man. Whereas with trans women, it's, it's especially if you transition very you know, later on in life and you've gone through male puberty, it's so much harder to undo the male puberty and replace that with, with female hormones. And because a lot of the changes are just irreversible. So it is really different for trans men. And I think that makes it more difficult for us to stick our head above because we are so hidden, like a really big group of hidden people within the community that's we don't always want to stand up in it and, and put our hand up, but if we don't, nothing's going to change, is it? So we've heard from Tanya and from Hendrix. What did you make of that then, guys? I mean, I just think it's really interesting to hear a couple of perspectives from people in areas of this whole subject who you might not have heard from before. I mean, I think the overall thing that I came out hearing that is that um, Hendrix talking about, yeah, how difficult it can be to talk about about these things and that there's this added extra layer for him. And it just made me think, crikey, I'd love to just sit down with you and have a cup of tea and just for you to feel comfortable <laughs> talking about it, to be honest with you, because, you know, we've all had the benefit of getting together and talking. We've had, you know... You, you know, you've been getting in touch with us as well, emailing us at the FN Hormones website, fnhormones.com and on the Facebook group as well. And, um, you know, 
you've pointed out to us the power of kind of getting together and feeling like you're not on your own. And I would really want that for Hendrix as well, basically. And I wonder what it is we need to do in order to kind of foster that a bit better and make that happen. Yeah, and it's a shame, isn't it? Because obviously Hendrix hears people in the workplace, whatever, women talking, you know, complaining about the hot flushes or whatever and wants to go, oh, yeah, me too. But then it's just going to be a confusing conversation if they don't know that he's trans, which they wouldn't necessarily know. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just really awkward. But I think the thing that stood out for me was, you know, there's, there's a sort of disconnect, isn't there? Like some of the health professionals were just totally assuming that um, they were going to be talking to the female that was with him when they were talking about a hysterectomy. Mm. Um, but then actually, it sounds like what was really good about some of Hendrix's experiences was that the health professionals were bending over backwards to accommodate mm. him as a, as a trans man and work out how they could give him a really good healthcare experience. Well, it is it's, it is new territory. And mm. I guess I guess as a society, we, we're still figuring it out, aren't we? I mean, there's a lot of debate around various issues to do with this and I think when when there's a lot of people already feeling like they're unheard and then within that there's another minority that feels even more unheard and it's about making people feel comfortable and regardless of the big debates going on it's just keep it's just I think for everyone to bear in mind that there's actually individual people who are going through individual circumstances rather than these big broad brush things and I think it's great that the hospital were able to you know, be accommodating and figure it out. Like work on figuring it out and not just going, right, this is where this is the box you belong in, this is where you should be placed on a ward, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like there was some actual work that went behind trying to understand and accommodate. I think that's probably the key, that whole kind of individualised care, because we as women want individualised care. We don't want to just be given something one size fits all because it doesn't, as we've all experienced very different ways of having our own menopause we want Mm. that same individual treatment and I think the same should go for someone who's trans or someone who's non-binary that they have that individualized care where it looks at them holistically and it looks at their experiences but it is uncharted territory I think because you know the conversation has only recently started in you know with some rigor um, about women's experiences and the you know this medical sexism which exists is now we have to look at the the issue of gender as well as sexism in treatment and that equality of treatment and that access to treatment is something that is only just being looked at for women. So to, you know, it really does need to happen with, what's the word for it, with some more oomph to try and look at where people are getting the access to healthcare and, and how they as individuals are getting that access because people aren't, are they? No. But I think your story shows that, you know, it can be done correctly, can't it? You know, the fact that it was, you know, they actually thought about the scar and the fact that he would end up with a scar that would look like a hysterectomy scar, which wouldn't look right on a man. So they did the scar the different way. So you can tailor treatments towards people if you want to. You can tailor the treatment, but I think the whole thing is not just about you being treated. It's about your health as as a wider concept. And I think the fact he had to try and find things with his partner to you know to find the information and that's not readily available um you know everyone should have the access to the information about their their own health and the procedures that they might need or the medication they might need and i think at the moment a lot of the materials are available they're available for a certain type of person and we you know that's part Mm -hmm. of the criticism we've had of things is that they're tailored for a certain type of woman and we don't fit those Mm. boxes of the certain type of women no. who go through you know mm. perimenopause or menopause so 
yeah, it's add, added yet another layer of complication that someone's not necessarily a woman going through this. Yes, there's the treatment, but again, I don't think that's the same for everybody. I don't think everybody gets that same level of treatment, and and I'm I'm really glad for Hendrix that he did. We've had previous guests as well where they've talked about you know being put into a medical menopause, and they're still not being understanding around it. And so, yeah, I think it's just broader education for healthcare professionals. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? It was Carmel, wasn't it? Carmel, it said yeah. That the, the, um, the, the doctor skipped over <laughs> the bits about decreases your libido because he felt uncomfortable mm. talking about it. And, and you sort of think, whoa, you know, if someone in the medical profession feels uncomfortable talking about that, like, what? Yeah. What do we do? <laughs> you're you know? squeamish and you're in the medical profession. You're I in know. the wrong job, surely. I know. Yeah. So I, th- I think you're right. I think Terry's right, though. There's so many layers. And if people start getting treated as an individual rather than a set of symptoms mm. or rather than, you know, and also our medicine isn't preventative in this country. Far from it. It's reactive. Mm. Um, it can be, depending on what it is. But everything feels quite reactive and it's, you know, it, and then it goes into services being cut and underfunded and research not being yeah. money for research not being distributed collect correctly. But I do think like there is now that we're all having the you know the conversations become more open. There is an opportunity for it to become more of a level playing field for everyone. Well, I can't believe the time has nearly come. It's nearly the end of the second series. Uh, but what do you make of it all? I think the overall thing has been that yes, we can be going through all kinds of awful things but we can grow resilience stop taking shit and come together to support each other thank you for being there for me you three i don't know if i'd be coped for the last few months without you without this podcast how's it been for you what have you learned learned a lot about myself learned a lot about you lot i think (laughs) (laughs) stuff you didn't want to know i think the whole country's learned about us lot bloody hell i think they have i'm gonna have to teach emma how to change a nappy though um (laughs) But uh, but yeah, I am changing. <laughs> I am changing, changing nappies <laughs> <laughs> once again. <laughs> what have I learned? I have learned that if you sit down and talk to people about it, it makes you feel better. I have learned that if you have a bit of a laugh, it makes it a lot easier to talk about difficult subjects. I have learned so much about not giving a shit anymore, actually. I think that's <laughs> I think that's the overall thing. Not giving a shit. Like, I mean, I'm taking massive inspiration from Marnie Riches. You're plotting your pubes. I totally plating knew you were. Yes. Not quite yet. <laughs> like a Viking. <laughs> I'm not quite doing that yet. But I do think that's the line of the series. Sorry, everyone else. I mean, I... <laughs> I think forget it. I think I think it's I think Mike Drop would we're done, frankly, with that line. <laughs> I, I think I'm the same. I think if uh, what's made everything just feels so much better is just having a laugh about it and hearing that yeah. oh, just mm. like even from the start of the series when we started doing like, was it lockdown one or lockdown two that we decided that we might do lockdown two and just that sort of despair, that despair for me at least is gone now. Hooray! I, but I've also, I also know I know nothing if I'm honest. The more we're doing, the more we're t- people we're talking to, the more experiences we're hearing about. I'm just like, oh, bloody hell. I, you know, and it's, and, but there's, and there's still a lot to do. There's still a lot of research to be done. There's still a lot of campaigning to do. There's still a lot of stories to hear. 
and mm. it's sort of but it but it you know the compared to when we very first started talking about it when there was no Davina documentary there was it was nothing there was nothing going on True and that. I think yep. you know as Emma said at the start like a lot's happened a lot's happened but most importantly it's just been great to laugh with you guys about it Yay! No, you too. I'm gonna cry. It's been great to laugh at you as well, Bebe. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been doing that for about 15 years, to be honest. So. <laughs> well, I think I've learned so so much over the last year, really. You know, and just reflecting on this episode, I've one thing I've learned throughout the whole thing is that there is no one face of menopause. You know, mm. menopause is not the mm. older, grey-haired white middle class woman you know menopause affects so many people you know across the world black brown old straight gay cisgendered non-binary whatever everyone can be affected by the menopause and not even people that are old it's you know when we spoke to carmel finding out Mm -hmm. about younger Mm -hmm. people who can have medically induced menopause i'm only 41 <laughs> you got a whole nine years on me, Goswell. That is, I know that is young, isn't it? But most importantly, I think I've learned that just how I just couldn't have gone through any of this without all you guys, and just how you know, just having Aww. my friends near me and advising me, and you know, having a shoulder to cry on, and you know, venting all my frustrations. It's you know, it's just I feel like I've personally gone on such a journey with this podcast, and it's just been such an honour to to share it with you guys. Oh, really, thanks, babe. Aww. That's lovely. Thank you. Thanks oh. for being our hostess with the mostess as well. Yeah. We've, had no, fa- we've about- had no fan this series. I was going to say, I want to make a joke about being your number one fan, but that's not me, is it? It's your other fan. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I've not even got my fan to interrupt and uh, get in the way of uh, the recording. Right, shall we do a little thank you now? Because we've had loads of people support us, haven't we, on Facebook and other platforms. So let's give a bit of a name check to some of our regular chatters and a big thank you to you guys. I'll kick it off first. A big thank you to Alison, Sue and Katie. And to Rachel and Michaela and Adele. And Deborah, Naomi and Beata. See, I I got that one because I know how to pronounce her name. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Catherine, Claire and Marnie. Viking platted Yay. Marnie, I would say. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> might be another Marnie. Love Marnie. Uh, not forgetting Susan, Mia and Teresa. Uh, Tanya, Michelle and Lindsay. And Samantha, Tara, Niti, Alice and uh, Tanya. And a huge thank you to everyone who's messaged us personally or on WhatsApp or LinkedIn. You've kept us going when we felt there've been times when the last thing we wanted to do after a long day is get on Zoom and see our ugly faces. <laughs> but it's been uh, it's been Speak really it's yourself. really kept us going. <laughs> it's really kept us going just to to hear from you and to um, hear that we're making a bit of a difference just by sharing our own experiences. So thank you. Yay! Oh, that was lovely. Well, that's it for this episode and for this series of Effing Hormones. A massive thank you so much for listening. We are, though, taking a break for a bit because, as you've heard us discuss already, I need to take some maternity leave. Yay! (laughs) Um, If you feel like you've been supported through this and you want us to continue, then we're looking at ways that we can make the podcast financially viable. You might not know this, but there's no big production company behind the podcast, is there, gang? 
it's me doing the editing at home. And listen, I was really chuffed the other day because, Terry, you told me that some of your mates thought there was like some production company doing... Yeah, they were really anything. shocked. They were like, oh, so, yeah, so who, who have you got like a company editing it? And is it's all very professional. I was like, no, it's poor Helen is doing everything on her own and there's no income from it because they thought we were getting some kind of income. And when I said we weren't, my friends were really quite shocked that there isn't any income stream for this for this podcast. We're just doing it in our own time and you're putting a lot of your effort and time into it and, uh, you know, buying kit and things like that. So, you know, microphones and he- headphones and things. So, yeah, I was, they were quite surprised. Do you know, that's absolutely lovely to hear because it just goes to show that we're all doing this in our own time on top of what we do to actually earn money and make a good job of it. So thank you, thank you. But it does also mean that in order to carry on, really, we've kind of got to the stage where, yeah, we're looking for some financial support. So we've set up a GoFundMe page. You can find all about the GoFundMe page by visiting our website at fnhormones.com. And we'd be really grateful you just have a look at it. And if you can support us in any way, we would be super grateful. So here's the plan. Here's the deal. We'll leave it up there for six months. And if we get enough money to make the next series, then that is fantastic. If not, we'll donate the money to a charity that supports people going through the menopause. How does that sound? Good, we have. That sounds good. So that's it. Remember, you can always go back and listen. And of course, you can let other people know about effing hormones as well. Also, if you're on Spotify, you can now rate us, which allows more people to find us. Just look for the three dots underneath the podcast picture. Click on that and it will give you the option to rate us. Five stars would be our preferred choice. Thank you very much. Love you all so, so much. Thank you. Love you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.